Hi everyone, I'm Saad, a marketing team here at Utmost. Um, we're hosting these roughly bi-monthly sessions to kind of chat about things that are top of mind for us, focusing on things that are top of mind for folks within the contingent workforce industry, and especially those on the enterprise side trying to figure out what to do and some tips and best practices. Um, and Erica, if you want to introduce yourself as well. Sure. Hi everyone, Erica Novak. I've been a CW practitioner for over 15 years. I've helped build programs, kind of build and evolve programs at both LinkedIn and eBay, and also consulted uh, with Brightfield Strategies on Fortune 500 companies on contingent. So this is kind of like my life, my dream, my water. I love this topic in a nerdy way. And so kind of excited to, to do this. We're just sharing information with other people who are in the realm. Great. So I wanted to start it off, you know, the title of this webinar, this Q&A session is about avoiding short-sighted um, crisis response strategies. So uh, what, what kind of spurred, spurred you to think about this, that some of these short-sighted response strategies were coming out? What kind of spurred the, this, this discussion in the first place? Yeah, I think I think the idea is any type of something like the marketing team gets excited, like, well, how do we prove, prove our thought leadership? You know, what can we do? Some of it is great, like how do we help? And others is how do we get out ahead of it as a, as being like the leaders or so. And so, as we've all seen, there's been tons of COVID nineteen webinars going on of here's what you're supposed to do. And I think a lot of people are looking for a voice because no one's gone through this before. And so, I think a lot of people are joining as many webinars as they can to kind of collect something in the in their war chest of saying how should I be reacting what's the right way and I think what's important in that is one not a lot of people know right so somehow a lot of people are saying they're thought leaders but actually haven't been in the position and that's not always that doesn't always come across in the webinar or what's shared or so so sometimes the, uh, the blind and the blind other times the the reasons behind it don't always match up to what you are looking for right what's the emotional intelligence what's the motivation of a best practice for someone versus you and so to me wanting to make sure you know again from a cw practitioner when i see something is kind of get pushed out as this is how things should be i want to tell the other side right there's always a different side and i think it's important as we look at things to have a 360 perspective of if I do this and then what, or maybe I didn't know this from the other side. And so I guess I just want to throw my hat in and say, there's some things that some people know and not the others. And I want to connect those dots for people. Yeah. And so what are some of the things that you've been hearing and um, going around in the industry as some of these suggested strategies or, or what's kind of popping up recurring and, and very commonly being discussed? Yeah. And it's interesting, there's there's kind of three different lenses that I see, right? Whether they're webinars or just people sharing, right? One is the CEO, CEO lens, which I love. If you guys aren't following Mark Cuban on LinkedIn, I highly recommend that you guys do. Uh, he is so pro the overall community and how leaders can actually help this from top down, but also bottom up. Um, he's given a lot of great information on uh, helping really small businesses, right? He put more information out there than the government did about the small business loans and working with your bank versus working with the government. He's got some phenomenal things. But he talks about how company brand is gonna be affected by, by how people come out through COVID-19. And that it's not just about what we're looking at with shareholders and Wall Street now, it's about how you actually help the community and the decisions that you made. And so he's got some really, some cool insights on that, that I recommend. Another CEO that I think is interesting, there's a GeekWire, um, magazine article that came out with 40 CEOs talking about how they're leading through this. And 
one of the comments that the CEO from my searches made was there's kind of four, four rings that he's looking at, like his personal ring, his family ring, then his community ring and his business ring. And he specifically mentions that his partners are part of both community and, um, and business, right? Partners and customers, right? And it's not just me as, as the CEO, it's how it affects the overall ecosystem. And so I love that when CEOs are looking at like the full, it's not just, I haven't heard or in that article, they didn't say stock price, right? It was more about, no, the way, the way business leaders are looking at how they provide value to the community are changing, right? It's not just driven. Um, and then I see HR and HR and procurement are the other two that are producing quite a bit of, of information out there. And the HR ones are talking about empathy and experience and transparency and speaking about how you lead through change and through turmoil, right? You see a crazy amount on remote work. <laughs> That's the other big one, right? And then business continuity. And then on the procurement side, and not surprisingly, it's procurement, right? It's about cost savings. It's more about how to make sure everyone has money in their pockets, right? But it's interesting to see how procurements sometimes dramatically differ from what the CEO and the HRs are saying, right? empathy, community, we're in this together, we have to balance or whatnot. And some of the procurement recommendations are much more of how you kind of leverage yourself up and a little bit more zero sum. And this is why I think there's some short-sighted and zero sum strategies versus like that long-term, how do we work together? Yeah, I can see that there's, I really like what you mentioned about like the kind of the, the rings that you have, like your personal, the community and the business. Uh, it just everything's a lot more interconnected these days. And even when looking at a business, um, you kind of initially thought of just your initial workforce as the people who are getting work for you that's done. Um, but over the, you know, the past 50, 60 years, increasingly a lot of that work is done by your contingent workforce, um, suppliers, third-party consultants, BPOs. So your rings are almost as core to your regular um, you know, your first ring, so to speak, because that's how work is getting done these days. So wanted to kind of shift into some of those short-sighted contingent workforce strategies. Um, talk to me about some of the ones that you particularly disagree with. Yes. And so this is the one that kind of prompted this is I've heard from multiple relationships, right? Whether it's for the suppliers themselves, kind of the BPOs or, or in-house folks is the payment term shift. Right, so a lot of normal payment terms and contracts are 30 days, the best are 15, but 30 days, 45, 60, and you get to 90 days. And what I've heard kind of across the board are that companies are, large companies are asking smaller companies to push their payment terms out to 120 days. And to me, I just think this is not the right strategy at all. This is gonna be forcing folks to bankruptcy. So I know that the post that I put out, you know, staffing suppliers are not your banks. You know, big players, when I think about the behavior that they are able to do and the influence they have by making different movements, this is a major tidal wave to your small, mid-sized partners, right? If you're acting like these guys can float you a credit line of money, basically, we'll pay you later. And not just later, right? 30 to 40 days later, um, it puts them in trouble of going into bankruptcy almost immediately. For those who don't know, staffing suppliers are usually on the hook for paying people weekly and bi-weekly, regardless if they get paid by their clients, right? Some of their companies are getting paid in 30 days and they've accounted for that for 60. But when you extend it out another one to two months, you're putting them, you're basically in danger of crippling them. And you are not the only company that's, that's doing it. 
Um, and so this is something that I'm just I'm adamantly against of. I don't think people recognize what they're, what they're doing or what they're asking. They think everyone has an influx of, uh, of cash or has something that can sustain this and they can't. And I think when we look about, when we look at COVID, right, there's gonna be a tail of bankruptcy for at least two years, right? Everyone's saying it's not just in the moment, it's there. And delay of payment for people who are so critical on your talent pool is gonna possibly put your talent supply, short-term and long-term, in critical flux if they can't make their payments. That's my biggest one. Yeah, most of these, a lot of these suppliers are just, what, 20,000 staffing suppliers out there. A lot of them are just mom and pop type of businesses. They're the ones um, reaching out, you know, they have to use the Small Business Administration, the Paycheck Protection Loans, because that's the only access to credit that they have. And you're right, like the credit lines that a large enterprise has is much more extensive and there's much more options for them than some of these businesses. Exactly. Uh, and on the payment terms, is there anything else in terms of, you know, there's people are extending payments. Is there anything else in that you think is a short-sighted crisis response strategy there? Oh, yeah. And this is a hard one because this is across the board what is absolutely going to happen. And let me preface this in saying that we know that at the moment, all companies are trying to figure out how to stay afloat, right? The, the goal right now is how do we stay in business? And so everyone's looking for how do we cut costs as well as how do we keep money like within our bank, right? Um, well, very typically, and this happened in 2008, uh, but very typically, the very first thing the procurement team will do is go to the suppliers and say, hey, can you lower your rates? Can you lower this? Can you give me a deal or whatnot? And so one of the things that I think for staffing suppliers or for suppliers to recognize, it's know that that's coming, right? That's the very, you know, it's almost considered a best practice. I disagree generally in how it's done because usually it's an email or a letter that's broadcast out, you know, broad strokes of give us discounts or get out of here, right? But when I think about this with the staffing suppliers specifically is the numbers have gone up dramatically, right? 2008, usually 10 to 15% was people, what people were, were asking. And now I'm hearing it's 20% and a little bit more, right? Can you, can you reduce your rates by this? And I think what a lot of folks don't recognize is that usually that also is a cut for your worker, right? And so, I think what's important is knowing that broad strokes, even though it's easier and faster and a little lazier, let's be honest, it's easier to hit one email that goes out to hundreds of suppliers than to surgically figure out how to do this, is it's generally done based on spend. That's the first cut that a procurement person is gonna look at, right? And then based on what they know versus going to the business to say, you have 30 suppliers. I think I know what you're, what, what are your, what you're spending the most on, but I actually don't know what's the most critical to your business. Show me what's going on and who can't we lose? Who's important? But doing it across the board and just saying, I hope, you know, let's hope people just agree to these terms. Again, I think it, it's short-sighted in the fact that it's actually gonna affect your workers and not all staffing suppliers can, can live through that type of reduction across the board. Yeah, and getting those types of, just if they're just an email, um, just those transactional emails that says like, dear, you know, sir, my damn, <laughs> and then that cross cut, just do that. And it just like, it's sent from an ERP system. There's no kind of communication or you're big on relationships. So it, it doesn't feel like you're thinking at all for the long term. But I mean, obviously there is, um, you know, a large volume sometimes, but um, yeah, I think that you're, you're right there. And it's the recognition of you're not the only one. Right, so it's not the only conversation or letter that these staffing suppliers have received. They're getting it from everyone, and how do they sustain their business? 
if this is a partner that you've had that's provided great talent for you or whatnot, if they're getting hit by everyone, there's no way they can give 20, 30% breaks to everybody, right? So one, I think the idea comes to like, why you? What are you asking? How does it actually affect short-term versus long-term, right? And then it's the recognition. Again, this is where I go back to the idea of relationships. And you guys have heard me shout this from the rooftops, right? It's a very different conversation when you think this is, I'm making this up, this is Joe and Cindy's business. How can I make sure we can support each other? Versus here's Acme Corp that I'm just gonna send this and see how it works. When you put the people back into the actions of what you're doing, it completely changes the response. It completely changes how you actually act and what those strategies look like. Because again, it becomes less of a zero sum. Like accept these or you're out. These are what I want and you're out of here. Versus a, how do we actually help sustain each other so we both make it through the long haul? Yeah. And can you talk to me a little bit about, um, oh, this is a great question that just came up in the, um, in the Q&A, but actually I'll, I'll leave that for later. I was going to touch upon this as well. Um, but um, can you talk to me about some of the, um, the policies that you think would be beneficial, actually, some of the um, maybe non-short-term sided crisis response strategies um, and, and what you would recommend to folks out there? And this is on the, like, a procurement side? Yeah, from the buyer side, yeah. Yeah, so I'll hit one of them quickly because I think it's important is there's a term and condition on around force majeure. And the long and short of it is basically the idea of if an act of God happens or a war or a riot or something that no one could see, we can term these, these contracts immediately. Generally, they're meant, or you see this a lot in events, right? You have a conference, you have a wedding or so, no one could foresee, we're not going to put this on anymore, so let's cut terms. But what I have heard is that those actually maybe people are utilizing those to get out of pain for things or shutting down contracts or whatnot. And again, I just, I just overarchingly disagree with that, that philosophy. It's a very short term, um, a short term thing. And so I think to me, not leveraging that, but having actually a person to person relationship on what makes sense is, is the first one. Second of all, in some of the procurement, um, some of the procurement webinars, they've talked about updating your policies. Right? I think what's important when, for all people to know is when they're talking about that, they're talking about usually in times of crisis, your processes and your policies, what's not working falls out really immediately. And you're able to actually see, oh, that's not being cared for. Let's update, let's figure this out and, and, and update it. It's not codifying your emergency response into your long-term policy. Right? I think that's incredibly important that w companies understand what we're doing in the short-term, mid-term and long-term and calling that out, right? And putting deadlines on when to go back and look at and renegotiate. And in those policies saying it's because of these following situations that we follow this, not here becomes our procurement wiki in which this is what we're following for for the next five years or it's not gonna be touched again, right? So I think making sure calling out assumptions around a policies when they're supposed to go into effect and when we should be re-looking at this is incredibly important. The other part I think is about kind of the equation. Right, so some of the things that are, that are good that I see is when the relationship between an enterprise and their supplier, and really it's their support supplier, it's, it's like that marriage, right? So I remember getting married and my sister taking me aside and saying, listen, especially when I had kids, you know, it's never going to be 50-50. Don't even expect it. You won't even get 60-40. Some days and weeks you're going to get, it's going to be 90-10 and you're going to feel like you're doing it. And guess what? He's going to feel the exact same way. And if you keep it on, if it feels like it's at this unbalance or so, you're going to break. 
at some point there needs to be a writing of the relationship, a renegotiation, a rebalance. And so I say that to say, when I think about the right policies, I think about one that figures out how to rebalance it over time. So it's potential that there's gonna be something that maybe the supplier takes a hit in the short term to keep the relationship, to keep the business. Procurement's happy because they're able to show they saved X amount or whatnot but there should be a timeline in that where then it rebalances. So as we come through it, and I truly believe that we are gonna come through it, not go back to normal, there's no normal anymore, it's gonna be the future normal, but the rebalancing of what that looks like of, okay, we did this, you know, maybe I took a 15% haircut, and as we come out of it, now let's figure out how to write me back up to that 15% or reward me for that partnership because we were able to do this together. So I think the idea of, of rebalancing is key, and the other thing that I think is transparency. So usually in enterprises, they have policies, they adherence or whatnot, and the supplier has no idea, right? They have their contract, but they have no idea like what's coming for what reason or whatnot. And so the idea of transparency and time, time expectations to your supplier, I think is key. So I'm rambling, but I'll, I'll do one more story. So yesterday I had a crazy hard day at work. It was great. I opened my door because I'm in my home office. And my two kids are inside with their scooters, just riding in circles on the hardwood floor, which is usually a no-no. I look at my husband, he's got music on, he's like, I've lost control. Okay, no problem. You know what, let's be the cool parents, that's what we're doing. Oh, so we changed the rule, and then this morning, my kids, lo and behold, get up, super excited, new rule, gone, bring the, bring the scooters back in, we're gonna do it again. And my, my husband and I, after some sleep, we're like, no, that's ridiculous. What a terrible thing to, have to allow our kids to do. Let's change it. And of course that went over like lead balloons. They said, no, you said yes here. Why not here? And what we had forgotten to do is talk about the time length of expectations. If this is an exception, not the rule. And so again, I, I bring that back to like procurement policy as far as saying, talk about what's emergency versus talk about what's long-term and what's expected and making sure your suppliers understand, even that's a checkpoint. In 30 days, we're gonna come back and we're gonna have a conversation again. Awesome. Now I'll leave you alone. I know what to expect. And I know that's too long. If I'm going out of business, if I need more cash and 30 days is too long, now I can say, I can't. I need it within 15 days. And the internal person understands, no, this is not a fire drill. It's actually something that's really important because otherwise they would have known the 30 days. Got it. It's great marriage advice, great parenting advice. <laughs> I think really interesting just knowing to rebalance the relationship when you're working with these outside your third parties your suppliers your partners really and making sure that you're giving and getting as uh, as partners um, and then of course um, in some ways like sunsetting these provisions there are crisis term policies and then there are policies for you know in more normal time so thinking about that when the rates are cut lower or if you have like these restrictions that that doesn't need to be the way forever and need to really think about it for the long term the long term viability of your program um so i'm going to jump to this question that i think really um aligns well with something that i was going to ask um an anonymous attendee asked in general how can staffing suppliers gain leverage and compete against commodification by the large enterprise and the vms Oh, I love you for asking that question, Anonymous, because I think that's on literally everyone's mind, right? So a couple ideas. So let's talk about just the, you know, the email, the, either the email or the note that you get that says, I need you to take 20% off, right? So I think the first thing for you guys to recognize is that you do have a contract in place. That email coming does not force you to say yes. 
And I think that's important to you guys to know, like in the, in the balance of the power shift, right? This is a request to change a contract, not something that you actually have to take in. And generally, somewhat of a mind game, a little passive aggressive way that procurement's doing, right? Again, and I love my procurement folks. So who are, whoever on the phone, this is not against you guys, but that is, it's a broad stroke to say, let's see who just takes this. Because if, if enough people say yes, and I'm, show enough, I'm able to show enough savings, whatever goal I have, I'm done, right? They know that they are gonna get some pushback and they're gonna be people who to say, people to say yes immediately. So my advice to you on that is, know if the ask is reasonable. Now again, if you've been fat and happy, 300%, 150% on different things like that, recognize that this is an area that you can take. But if you're in a spot where what they're asking for puts you in critical damage, let's bring it back. You're able to say no. You're able to say no and put it back in their corner. Or what I'd actually recommend, and kind of like the second point is, you're able to say no and then provide a unique, different pricing plan. So there's been some really cool, unique pricing metals that I've seen like in leasing cars and different things. People are figuring out how to better price for short-term and long-term, right? So the idea of, hey, your payment terms are gonna be longer. Okay, then I'm gonna up the price. Or your payment terms will be shorter. Okay, I can, I can build it. But come with a recommendation. The procurement team has hundreds of suppliers that they're working with, right? So they're not gonna figure out something specific for you. They're gonna do something standard and see how much it actually works for everybody. It's up to you to say, here's what we can actually do to keep my business afloat and propose it back to him. So again, I would say, know that you have the ability to say no, come with something that actually works better for you and talk about the relationship that you guys have. And then the third point is, use the business to help you. Now, again, this comes down to emotional intelligence of recognizing what relationship you actually have in place, right? Do you have a business team who loves working with you? You're giving them great talent, um, leverage them. Procurement does not want to be yelled at by the business. You're da -da -da -da, my supplier or whatever. They're, they're hoping to serve the business in the broader sense of the business. But in general, they don't want the business to be mad at them because they have a relationship. So if the procurement team has only done it by spend and they haven't gone to the business to say who, you know, who's the most critical right now, who's the most important to the relationship or whatnot, then that's to you to say, you know, hey, these are the business managers I'm supporting. Can they speak on your behalf, right? And again, it should be respectful. It should be something that's gracious. And it should be the idea that everyone is trying to make sure we, their business stays afloat. The motivation for everyone is exactly the same. I think that's important for us to know as, as people, right? Um, but it shouldn't be one company stays in business because others did not. And then the fourth I'm going to bring out there, because I know a lot of MSPs, there's different programs that have no communication versus communication. And they're in a program that has no communication that really has debilitated staffing suppliers to have that relationship. And to that, I say, MSP, this is your chance to be an advocate, not a messenger. You have a voice. You understand the supply chain better than almost anyone. Most companies like myself, what is on LinkedIn, we want the MSP to play a larger role. We want them to be able to show their subject matter expertise and help teach us and be an influencer or whatnot. And where we're generally let down is that they're not. They're either afraid to voice their opinion, right? Or they don't have one. So to that, I say, MSP, you have a chance to sit with your CW program team and say, they can't absorb this. We work with small mid-tier suppliers. We're not this large, the larger supplier firms who largely have more cash flow. 
this doesn't make sense. Can we propose something different? Or here's how this could work. Or could we, could we do something for folks who are $100 an hour and above versus below? So be an advocate. And I say this because I really do feel that the industry where we are today are getting upset with MSPs because no one feels like they're doing exactly what they hope they would. And your staffing suppliers are in a way that they can say, great, we're gonna help you support this thing or we're not. And if you leave your staffing suppliers out to dry on different clients, they'll stop wanting to work with you. And again, I think there's been a, a power balance of um, no one's gonna be afraid to work with you because of course they're always gonna want LinkedIn. So they'll all go off to the brand, so they'll accept whatever terms. And I really believe with COVID right now, what we're gonna see is how do I survive as a business? And then who are my clients of choice? As we come through this, where am I gonna spend my time, my resources, my emotional energy, and the people? And if we have a CW program or an MSP that doesn't speak on behalf of the people who actually give us talent, I think it's gonna break fully. And I actually encourage that. I encourage the staffing suppliers to revolt because I think this is something that we need to do better in. In the last five minutes, but taking on a, another question, um, how can a supplier manage through an MSP that isn't a strong service provider? And, and even just to kind of add on to that a little bit is, I know in previous um, episodes, if you want to call it, you've advocated that the buyer, the enterprise should try to build these strategic relationships and partnerships um, with their third parties rather than just, you know, sending it out to a million vendors and then see what happens. So yeah, on the supplier side, how do they either manage to an MSP that isn't a strong service provider or how do they even build that relationship? So they, from their perspective, um, how do they become that kind of strategic partner? What can they do? To the supplier specifically? Yeah. Or sorry, to the MSP? Uh, what can the supplier do? What can the supplier do? Awesome, okay. So again, I'm gonna go back with some very basic information. I apologize this, but be a human first right, especially now, right, if the MSP doesn't know who you are as an account manager or business development manager, or if they know you too well because you just send emails and you annoy them, right, there's, there's a balance between how you reach out and how you share. And what I've seen on the supplier side is generally it's mass emails that are asking, can I get more recs, can I get more recs, can I get more recs, right, that just, it's noise and it's annoying everyone and everyone's doing that. And so what I would say to a staffing supplier, with an MSP is one is, is this the right partner and program for you? Like take a real gut check, brand logos matter and I get that, but like is the amount of time that you're spending trying to build a relationship that's not being reciprocated worth your time on the rec volume that you have to spend going through? And that, let's say that it is, let's say that it is. But I go back to like, do you know these people? Who are the people on the ground? Not the high senior people, but who are the people who are helping you fulfill recs? Do they have your cell phone numbers? right? Do you call? Do they call? Are you guys out of email, right? Will they meet you? Will they meet you for lunch? Don't waste your time, right? There's a good thing about personalizing, like, hey, let's have coffee. But there's also, we're in a time where time matters more than anything right now. And so it's understanding, like, how do you add value to their job? How are you making their job easier, faster, better? Are you making them look good? Do they understand that they can reach out to you? Can they text you? Can they slack you or whatnot? Usually those points that are broken, everything's done in the VMS and it's very shifty, right? Or you have business development, just doing everything and emailing, knocking or whatnot, but it doesn't feel actually very true. So I go back to, it's not rocket science. It's very hard because you have to get the other person to open up to it, right? But I go back, use the resource managers, the program professionals, the program managers, and share how you can actually make their job 
better. Show how, why you're a better supplier and why you're actually a partner and what you're doing and understand the business. Like if you don't understand the business that you're supplying or the MSPs, it's very easy to shut you out. It's a little vague. So whoever asked that question, like let's talk separately because I need to know a lot more components in how to answer that and to better prep. But again, I go back to like, when they see you as a person, not a supplier, when they know your name and what you're doing over the weekend, how that program thrives is incredibly different than you're one of 25, you're one of nine, they don't remember what your name is and whatnot, but it's, it's the people aspect that makes it successful. Great. Well, we only have two minutes left. Unless anyone wants to drop in a question, I think it's time to wrap. Um, so really appreciate you all joining us today. Uh, we'll be back again in two weeks to discuss another topic. Feel free to send us a note. My email is saad, S-A-A-D, at utmost.co, or you can contact Erica, erica at utmost.co. Connect with her on LinkedIn, especially anonymous attendee. Um, she has more advice for you, um, but please feel free to let us know and um, we'll look forward to seeing you next time. Thanks everybody. Bye. Have a great weekend.